Welcome to TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about the week's technology news. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh31. There are three of us today. I'm Leo Notenboom, Chief Question Answerer out at askleo.com. I'm also the publisher of a couple of non-tech sites, notallnewsisbad.com, a daily antidote for, well, everything else, and heroicstories.org, twice weekly stories of people just being good people. I'm Gary Rosenzweig, the host and producer at macmost.com, where I post new Mac, iPhone, and iPad tutorials pretty much every day. I also make mobile games, and you can find those at clevermedia.com. I'm Kevin Savitz, the creator of freeprintable.net, which offers free printable documents and templates. Let's see, we've got 46,000. And uh, faxzero.com, which lets you send a fax so you can party like it's 1990. Uh, yeah, I'm also <laughs> the creator of a site that has stories that will make you sad and grumpy. It's the antidote to heroicstories.com. Uh, my my new the URL for this, the uh site that will make you sad and grumpy is news.google.com. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so you're responsible for that. Well, we need to have a conversation offline here, man. <laughs> cool. Hey, well, before we talk about what we did this week, I want to say it was a great show last week, guys. Uh, I really thought that was just Quinn was an awesome fascinating guest. stuff. Really, yes. Really to have her on. Definitely. Uh, whenever she wants to be on, it's fine with me because fascinating stuff. Um, steam engines and mobile games and all that yeah she's she's fascinating it's hard to have a a boring conversation with quinn (laughs) yeah yeah i i was i was i was surprised you know you guys just didn't tell me uh we're full up next this week gary (laughs) maybe try try the week after (laughs) quinn's just gonna replace you (laughs) so but yeah i was on a trip uh my first trip of the summer i take lots of summer trips because i got a kid in school so summer is the time to do trips and, um, you know, back east, see family, go to uh, beautiful Ocean City, New Jersey, uh, where I kind of pilgrimage every year uh, just to see, uh, you know, boardwalk and beach and swimming in the ocean and eating lots of ice cream, things like that. What about you guys? Kevin? Let's see. Uh, I haven't taken any trips big trips yet this summer, uh, but I'm leaving in a few days to go to Kansas Fest, which is uh, an Apple II conference that I uh, go to every year. Um, my big news, I guess, is that I've finished a project that I've been working on for more than a year um, called the Ted Nelson Junk Mail Project. I think I've mentioned this before, but Basically, uh, Ted Nelson, who just you can just Google him. He uh, he invented the word hypertext and did lots of other things. Um, uh, he he went between the mid '60s and the mid '90s. He collected catalogs, brochures, flyers from all sorts of different technology companies, um, from you know optical, scientific, computer. Uh, uh, audio, just all, whatever, he got everything. And he went to, he went to uh, uh, trade shows and just like went to every booth and took every flyer, that sort of thing. And he put them into uh, banker's boxes and put them in his storage shed and forgot about them. Um, and I got a hold of them through a buddy of mine who works at the Internet Archive and 
proceeded to set up a project to scan all of it. It was 17 boxes of material. It was more than 70,000 pages of, uh, of material. And we got it all scanned and metadata created and got it all uploaded to the Internet Archive. And it is an amazing collection of material uh, and computer history. Yeah, let me let me yeah, definitely uh, confirm the amazement. I spent a few minutes looking at it this afternoon because, of course, we uh, we got the link to the project and the the notes that we used to prepare for this show. And uh, yeah, definitely heavy duty nostalgia time for me. Definitely a lot of a lot of things that I recall from back in the day. Uh, it was very cool to be able to look through all that and see it. Uh, kudos on on an amazing an amazing collection of information. Yeah, it's a it's a great collection, and I'm happy to have kind of had my my part in uh, getting it online. And I, I think it's just going to be a incredible collection for for nostalgia, for researchers, for you know, historians. Who knows? And now it's all up there on archive.org forever and ever. So, cool. I spent um, last week. I mentioned that I was preparing for the Fourth of July parade, and mm-hmm. that's where I spent the Fourth of July. It was a uh, a lot of fun, as it always is. Uh, we had a great time. I think it was one of the longest parades uh, that the city of Everett has had for a while. So that was just a kick. It's surprising when you volunteer for these things, just how tiring they uh, they end up being, even though my particular role was essentially standing around um, the, the command center, uh, basically acting on, on radio the entire day. It's still something that takes your attention all day long and tires you out, and you're still paying attention to the parade floats as they go by, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a lot of fun. Looking forward to doing that again next year. Then um, two days ago, uh, our corgi breeder showed up for a visit. Uh, they're still here, uh, the corgi breeder and nine dogs. So we've got 11 corgis running around the house right now. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you hear a bark, well, now you know why. Uh, it's again, also a lot of fun, but also very tiring. <laughs> um, and, uh, at the same time, it's funny. It's one of those things where I'm surprised I haven't spent more time on this, uh, in the past, but I've started playing around a lot more with digital photography. I have a, uh, a Nikon, uh, D810 SLR and, uh, it is way smarter than I am. And I'm looking to, uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, get smarter than the camera, but at least close the gap. And I'm learning a lot about uh, exactly how the camera operates and doing some fun things with it. So that's what, uh, what you know, aside from answering Ask Leo questions and comments and that kind of stuff, that's kind of what my my last week has been uh, been all about. Cool. So, Kevin, you want to give me my intro? Uh, sure, I would be happy to. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Breach of the week. Yay. Um, So this is uh, not quite so much a breach. There's certainly a selection of breaches that I could have chosen because... I can't give you that great intro and you're just like, well, it's not really a breach. It's not really a breach. No, I (laughs) Would you like to call it hack of the week then? I mean... Sure. All right. But I don't have a... Moderate breach of the week. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So like I said, though, there's there's no shortage of of breaches to, to talk about and report and... The headlines always make them much worse than they actually are. There's one where um, um, I think there's a, a, a service that like will exhume some of your internet history and uh, your social media history, and that got 
um, hacked into, but then all of a sudden, as long as you read the entire article that talks about it, it's like, well, you know, we invalidated everything that they stole, so it really has no impact on you. Great. You know, you made me read this story and it didn't really, doesn't really affect me. This one I thought was really, really interesting just because it was something different. Hackers reportedly stole 600 gallons of gas from a Detroit gas station. This was reported in gizmodo.com earlier this week. And I I think of it as something different. And to be honest, I'm surprised it hasn't been happening more. And as you read the article, in fact, it has been happening a little bit more than you might see in the, in the news reports. But because all of this technology is going digital and because hackers are who they are, uh, they've been working on this. And apparently in this particular case, what happened is the hacker wrested control of a gas pump from the control system of the gas station so that even though the attendant inside saw that this was happening, that the people were basically just sort of filling up their cars without, uh, without restriction, the, uh, the, the, the attendant couldn't do anything. Everything he tried to do to turn off the pump would fail, uh, which just amazes me, A, that a system would be designed in that way, that e- that's even possible. Um, I know that there's usually an external kill switch in case something blows up so you can turn off the gas to the entire station. But the fact that, uh, that this was allowed to continue as it continued was, uh, was just interesting. It, it, it entertained me. It made me smile. Uh, like I said, given, uh, given the way that technology is being used for these kind of devices everywhere, it's about more than just card skimmers these days. Gas, gas pumps are technology and, uh, and it's a way for hackers to get free gas, apparently. You know, I, I, I know I should feel like this is, this is wrong and <laughs> these people are bad, but I can't help but smile at this because uh, I don't know. <laughs> There's something about it. There's, yeah. you know, it's the it's same kind of thing, you know, when Jobs and Wozniak in, this, in the early 70s got free long-distance phone calls. You know, it's, uh, there's, there's something about it, something kind of, anarchist you know feeling about the thing like well the 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 systems on the gas pumps should be more robust uh they will probably be more robust because of things like this happening and um I don't know. I just can't bring myself to to feel the same kind of well, outrage. It's definitely I, hard to feel sorry for the big oil companies. I, I certainly could agree with you there. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. And it's not like they stole like half a billion dollars worth of, you know, they stole 600 gallons. You know, and I assume a whole bunch of people just got free gas. Right. right. I don't think, I, I mean, did it say in the article, like, who were the people that got free gas? Was, was it all people that they knew or no, they no, giving they, away free gas to people? I, I suspect it was much more opportunistic than that, that somebody drove up, figured out how to do this. Yeah. Um, and then probably, if, you know, if, if, if I were to guess, they probably just left it in that state. Uh-huh. You know, they got their gas for free, left the machine uh, wide open, so to speak. And uh, the next people came along and, oh, look, it's not charging me. So Yay. a little Robin Hood kind of yeah. situation going on here too. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, it's, um, and I think it also suffers from the same problem that a lot of these systems um, have in that, okay, great, here's a vulnerability at the gas pump. It's in the gas pump's firmware, presumably. Yes, that needs to be updated, but how many thousands and hundreds of thousands of gas pumps are there that now need to be updated to account for this? How soon will they get to it? How many more people will figure out how to hack and get free gas in the interim? 
Um, it's just like you say, it, I, like I said, it, it made me smile. I just thought it was something different for a change rather than the usual, you know, woe is me, they stole the data once again. Yeah, and, I, and I'm mad at the uh, gas stations in general anyway for not updating their credit card readers. Some of them have. So at this point, there are some I go to that I put my, and I, it's doing the chip thing. But there's so many that are not, that are still swipe. And, and then they asked, and then here's the thing, the gas station companies, I don't know, you know what organizations own the gas stations, whether they're directly owned by oil companies or franchised or whatever, but they asked for extra time, right? Everybody had to upgrade to the, to the chip system. Oh, right, right. And the, and the gas pump, you know, the gas stations got a special rider on that to give them more time. And my feeling was, is they should have been the first ones. They should have right. been earlier than everybody else, simply because of just, I mean, all the technology is just out there. I, I assume these gas pumps are maintained on a regular basis anyway. Um, it should have been like first round, upgrade the gas pumps. And then, you know, the mom and pop shops and grocery stores and things like that right. come right. afterwards. And I want my gas pump. And I think I have to try it next time I fill up. Um, I want my gas pumps to support Google Pay and Apple. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, that that is just so cool when it works. That, And it's so much more secure than sticking your card into a machine that may have a reader installed in it. So, so far, I've used Google uh, Apple Pay once. It wasn't at the pump because this was in New Zealand early last year. And so it's and I was able to surprise that when I walked in, cause I, I forget, I don't think you pay at the pump there or uh, something like that, but I had a, I walked in and they had a, an Apple pay logo. And I, so I, it's the only time I've ever paid for my gas with Apple pay, okay. but there's another, but uh, more recently than that, I paid Apple pay for air, an air pump. There was an air pump, like at the size of the side of the gas station normally oh, yeah. go up and you expect those to be like, 50 years old taking like quarters or something. Exactly. And I was shocked when I went up to this one and it had like Apple pay, Google pay, PayPal all on there. And I was like, okay, I'm game. And I whipped out my iPhone <laughs> two bucks and I I've got compressed air coming out. I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of weird. That's pretty You should cool. just move to Oregon where we yeah. don't pump our own gas. Hey, I was just in New Jersey, the other state that doesn't pump their own gas. And it's, uh, yeah, people, when you, when you don't, how do you feel about it, Kevin? You live I, there. I love it. I get to sit in my car and play with my phone while someone else does this, this, this stinky work of, of doing the, the gas. And uh, yeah, I don't, if I have to drive to Washington or something, I, I make sure I get gas first so that I don't have really? to pump my own gas wine, like an animal. Wine, wine. <laughs> I was trying desperately to make it out of New Jersey on fumes <laughs> so I could not have to deal well, with this. It's not any more expensive. It's just like, you talk to the guy and you give him your card and you know you i'm with gary man i want to pump my own i really do mm -hmm. and what frustrates me most is my understanding of the reason it is that way in oregon and perhaps new jersey as well is not for any technical or safety reason nope. it's simply a make yeah. it's it's basically yeah. yeah it's all about you know artificially creating jobs that honestly don't need to exist anymore That's, now now yeah. in, am i correct in, in assuming that there's no tipping for that kind of thing? No, there's no tip. Because it didn't even occur to me until I pulled up and the guy starts pumping the gas and then somebody wiped down my windshield and then I gave my card and then it suddenly occurred to me, oh, wow, should I, is this like a tipping thing? Am I supposed to tip this guy? 
And uh, I've, I've never done it in eight years of living here. Okay. So well, that's good. <laughs> I, it just that explains all the scratches on your car. Damn. Yeah. Okay, really. <laughs> there is a mysterious new dent on my car that I can't explain. So. Oh, there you go. Yeah. 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 You got marked. <laughs> Not a non-tipper. <laughs> yeah, but I, I did think in terms of technology, it is weird how we have, um, we've got all sorts of do-it-yourself things now that have evolved since, you know, I remember being a kid and having the choice between self-serve and full-serve in Pennsylvania. Right. Yep. And, you know, now we've got, you know, ATMs are ubiquitous and there's so many things we do for ourselves now that used to be a full-service type of thing. But gasoline in New Jersey and Oregon is still full service. And then I was thinking, well, this is the age of Uber. And then I realized, well, wait a minute, Uber's the opposite direction. <laughs> you know, Uber's like full service, right? Somebody comes to your house and picks you up and takes you somewhere. It's like that's going towards full service rather than drive yourself somewhere. So that actually implies that in Oregon, you've got two layers of you know, self or full service, right? Because you're paying the Uber driver, but then the Uber driver can't fill his own tank. <laughs> Right. But also I hire someone to uh, use my phone to call Uber for me. So I don't even have to do that. So that <laughs> <laughs> Well, so now if you have an electric car and you pull up to an electric charging station, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you, you have to plug it in or somebody have to come out and plug your car in for you? That's what my butler's for. Right? Oh, okay. <laughs> and you bring them along in the, in sure. the car. No, well, he's a driver, but he's, he's, he's the driver. Yeah. He's the driver. He's, take care of this. I want <laughs> selling my hands with this. Dirty, electron. dirty electrons. Yeah. Well, you, you you both you take your butler along with you when you're riding Uber. Sure. Yes. So he can talk to the Uber driver. Right. Yeah. Make small. Make small make talk small for talk. me. I cannot be bothered. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyway, so that was gas stations. Kevin, you got something uh, about that was funny. I would, I would say that that conversation was fun. It was a gas. Ah. Uh, yeah. The uh, I'll be here all week. Tip your waitress. Tip somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tip your gas. Don't tip the gas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. How I saw this was interesting. And it yeah. said um, hospital pager systems transmit unencrypted patient data. So this is not breach of the week. This is just like an ongoing systemic breach that uh, exists. Um, some uh, guy, some young kid, I think, was getting into uh, radio stuff and playing playing with uh, with uh, you know little local radio systems and tuned into the the, the pager bands and discovered uh, what he discovered. What is is a open secret, really, was that hospitals use pagers. And it's hard for me to you know make fun of this because, uh, like I said, I off, I off, I have a website that lets you send faxes. So who am I to to disparage old technology? But uh, hospitals uh, make uh, extensive use of of pager systems, and uh, this. So basically, this person discovered that um, they do this and that they have unencrypted data, including patient names and. Uh, uh, you know, name, age, and, and sex. And uh, and so he started, he's created a, t- a Twitter account to basically shame these hospitals to stop do- doing it. And his little screenshots with the with the names and stuff uh, blocked out. Um, so when I, I think I mentioned last week, the week before when I went to uh, DEF CON with my kid and there was some interesting talks and one of them was about pagers, uh, how pager systems work. And basically, if you have a pager, you know, an alphanumeric pager, uh, and someone sends you a 
page and say, say it's just like Leo, call me. My number is five, 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 one, two, three, four. That goes into the pager system, which is nationwide. So they don't really know where you are in Washington. It just, that message goes out to the entire nation. Um, and gets broadcast everywhere, and then hopefully your pager hears it. And this is what I remember from this talk. Hmm. So it's it's and and everything goes out unencrypted, and and broadcast nationwide. So the, this person, I believe, kind of the one of his points of this talk that I heard a couple of years ago at DefCon was that if you wanted to do something super bad, like set up a a bomb or, or something, you could hook it up to uh, a pager system. Uh, and basically you could have it listen to the pager network. And if it saw a, a page with a special password, a passcode, a, a, a number, you know, secret number that, that you set up, you could literally have it send that to any pager in the United States in the future. And it, when it noticed it, you know, your, your device would go off or, or whatever, super insecure. Um, and the fact that, that, uh, hospitals are using it, you know, and probably violating HIPAA uh, by, oh, yeah. you know. That was actually my first thought when I saw the headline you shared is that this seems like in like an instant HIPAA violation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you don't read the comments, I mean, it's just, but I read the comments on this article and basically, you know, someone is just like, this is violating HIPAA. And then someone else is just like, it's even worse that he's violating the communications privacy act by spying on this, this data. It's like, this is, this is open. in my opinion, it's open unencrypted data. It's not spying on anything. It's just, you know, right. Looking right. Well, at it, the, the airwaves. Yeah. As, as you and I know, I mean, from, from our radio experience, I mean, police bands and, and other, um, you know, airlines and air traffic control, that's all open, unencrypted. Anyone can listen. Where it gets to be illegal is when you are suddenly start transmitting. That's that's you know, where things are, right. um, where you actually start to cross FCC violations. But the ability to listen to anything that's unencrypted is totally legit, and that's what makes this pager thing really really interesting. Is that yeah, it's very legitimate for anybody to listen, which the hospitals shouldn't be using for that kind of information. Right. You, you brought up something interesting there, the, the whole idea of a, a HIPAA violation. What does HIPAA stand for? It's like uh, health, information, privacy. Portability, privacy. Yeah. So, and so uh, the health, forms. Inf- health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Oh. No. Okay. Well, everybody usually refers no. to the part of it that's about privacy. It's all those forms you fill out every time you get near a doctor's office. They ask you to sign a HIPAA yep. thing, or that you you've you've understood what their privacy policy is and all that. The um, but so the interesting thing is is that somebody was accusing this guy of vol- of uh, violating HIPAA. I would think that the HIPAA violation would have to be with the hospital. That if the information is being let out there freely, right? That's the violation point. You right. as a non a uh, person that is not in charge of anybody's health or health insurance letting the information out there. It's like, you're not beholden to HIPAA because you're not a doctor or a medical practitioner of any kind. And the funny thing is, is there's a story this week from here in Colorado that where a, uh, a reporter at a local uh, newspaper was, uh, saw the police standing around and some guy, I think a naked guy sitting on, you know, with a blanket over him 
uh, on the sidewalk. And it was a reporter. So the reporter's like, oh, there might be a story here. Goes up and immediately starts asking the police officers what's going on and takes a couple pictures with his phone. And one of the police officers said, you can't do that. You can't take a picture. And they're, they're just out on the street, public place. Yeah, no, you could do that. That's like yeah, one of the it, first it, things we learned in journalism sure. school. Yeah, he's like, I could totally do that. We're out in a public place. I'm, uh, and on top of that, I'm, I'm a legitimate member of the press. So it's yeah. not just freedom of whatever. It's freedom of press too. And one of the things that the police officer said is, you can't do it because you'll be violating his HIPAA rights. And, of course, the reporter said, no, I'm not. <laughs> and, but that was a really bizarre, interesting way of, you know, saying, uh, you know, tr of trying to convince this reporter not to take pictures. And I don't know how you could make that claim. You can't just go and say, oh, the hospitals all agree to follow HIPAA. And now that applies to just anybody. It seems like public information is public, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if, it, if it's out in the public, um, getting it in the public may be in violation. That could be a, a, right. a, you know, a, a chargeable offense. But once it's public, it's public. I mean, it's, it's just not something that the next party who happens to hear it necessarily needs to be held responsible for. Right. Another thing this, uh, this story, as you're talking about it, Kevin, made me think about is, you know, there's two types of uh, privacy concerns when it comes to health information. Um, one is the like nefarious use of of it, like bad guys getting their hands on your private information, and the other is good guys getting their hands on the information. You know, we're always scared by these stories of like, um, you know, you trying trying to order, uh, you know, a sugary treat on Amazon and having Amazon saying, "Well, you know, your last doctor's appointment, your doctor said you should cut down on sugar," um, and then feeling creepy about, well, why does Amazon have medical information on me or something like that. Um, so right. the doctor stores their information using <laughs> AWS. <laughs> yeah. Amazon web yeah. services. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, so there's two types, you know, one is you don't want, and I think the legit, one of the legitimate types is you have say a health condition, you go to uh, get a job somewhere and you're passed over for that position, even though you're the more qualified person, because somehow that employer was able to get private health information and said, this person may be absent from work more because of this health condition. Let's choose the less qualified person for the job. And that's kind of like, you know, part of why people don't, you know, want privacy protections as opposed to, you know, actual criminals getting their hands on information and trying to pull scams and steal right. your money and all that. So anyway, but really getting what's to keep any, anybody a, a scammer or, or a, a quote-unquote legitimate company from harvesting the information being sent on the hospital pager networks oh, absolutely and yeah, then go like oh uh and then like and selling that oh gary rosenstein you you were in the hospital for something to do with you know something and uh and and sell that information to your your employer or your whatever or to kind of black terrible. market information networks, you know, yeah. these company companies hire back, you know, companies to background check people. Right. And part sure, of their sure. job is to go, you know, look at criminal records, look through newspaper clippings, you know, electronic newspaper clippings, things like that. And what's to stop a company from signing up for the bonus background package where they look on the, uh, you know, the kind of the black market of information and give you kind of a... Is that the dark uh, web? Is that the... the, the oh, that term. <laughs> I, hate, I hate that term. The, um, yeah, the dark web. That would be actually what it, where it would be. Yeah. So it's a great marketing term for these commercials on TV to like, you should get our 
you know, antivirus software or, or sign up for our, our yes, identity we're constantly, constantly the scanning web. the dark web for your dark information. Web. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that sounds so scary. If they <laughs> only knew how difficult it was to use this dark web. <laughs> yeah. or, and, and the fact that, you know, black markets really have always existed. Yes. Just the current sure. in the information age, the dark web is basically just the, the black market for information. More or less. So, so this week I learned a new term. It's much more, um, it's not nearly as nefarious as dark web or anything like that. <laughs> um, I just stumbled across this earlier called plug spreading. And you, you all know, you'll all know exactly what this is. These are the devices that when you plug them into a socket, they prevent you from plugging something else into the adjacent socket because hmm. the brick is too big or whatever. The connector is oriented in such a way that, you know, it must cover up the, uh, the socket next right. to it. Like the guy on the subway who takes up two or three spots. Is this man spreading? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's the same, the same idea yeah. only for your electrical plugs. Mm. Um, and it's, it's probably more annoying for most people than the guy on the subway because they probably are dealing with, you know, plugging things into the wall way more often than they are looking for a seat on a subway. Right. Um, the, you know, years ago I switched on my, my power plug adapter things to a, a device called a uh, power squid, yep. which, um, is just a, a lovely extender and it, instead rather than just being like one bar with, you know, six plugs in a row or, or something, it just, it's like an octopus. It's just got eight alarms or six or whatever, depending on what it is. And so nothing can interfere with, with anything else. So I feel like I haven't had to deal with, I mean, I just replaced everything with these squids, you know, five years ago and I've been, I've been happy ever since, but, yep. uh, yep. It, and yet, you know, if you, if you need to plug something directly into the wall, it's, it's a problem. Um, it's there, there's a bunch of different solutions to the problem, mm -hmm. like the power squid. Cause yep, I've got a couple of them too. We probably stumbled onto them at about the same time several years ago. Um, there are like mini extension cords, like little extension cords that are like maybe a foot long, just enough to get you away from the socket. Um, there are, um, uh, there's a, a multi socket expander that I stumbled across a couple of weeks ago. I actually ended up buying two of them that actually swivel so that you can swivel the socket around so that you can move your, your oversized brick, your plug spreading brick um, away from some of the other sockets. But I mean, these are all workarounds. Every one of them is a workaround for a problem that honestly doesn't have to happen. The, there are some now uh, bricks, power plugs, where, yeah, there's a little transformer or some electronics or whatever in the head, but it's oriented in such a way that, A, it doesn't take up two sockets. It actually either goes high or off to one side rather than uh, covering up the socket next to it. So anyway, plug spreading. It's evil. Don't That's, do it. Yeah. And, you know, it made me think of, actually, I'm staring directly at my uh, UPS uh, with my most important devices plugged into it. And the funny thing is, of course, sometimes, you know, they try to do the power bricks that go to the side. Mm -hmm. So if you're plugging into a traditional wall socket, it doesn't cause this problem. And then there are power strips in UPSs that try to deal with this by turning the, um, 
you know, the, the orientation of the holes so you can fit multiple ones together. The only problem is sometimes you have both. And I have that situation where I've got the power brick for uh, it's for the um, uh, for uh, my modem, my DSL modem is turned to the side, but so are the plugs on my UPS. So with both things trying to get around the problem, they end up actually causing the problem. Two negatives give you a positive. Yeah, two problem negatives again. give yep. me a positive yep. problem. So I have so I have that. <laughs> Do, doing that. Yeah, so it's kind of funny that way. Uh, and yeah. I also had a problem in one of the hotels I stayed at last week. Uh, they had, the, you know, the, the desk, and on the desk there's a lamp. And on the lamp there's two power outlets, you know, which is nice, convenient. Put your laptop out there, plug it in. Except the power outlets, for some reason, by design, were all the way down at the level of the table. Like, they, the holes were literally the smallest amount they could possibly have been above the surface of the table. There's no way for me to plug in my power brick. It would not oh, right. fit without me like putting the lamp on the top of a book or something like that. So that was another frustrating thing. Here I am sitting with need for power with two plugs right here. And I couldn't use either one of them. I had to plug into the wall. When I, my experience traveling is that a, you're well, it's getting better, but sometimes you're lucky to have a power outlet at all. Yeah. Um, but I actually travel with um, a small, um, essentially, it's a, um, a power strip, although it happens to be square. So there are like three sockets on each side and a couple of USB um, sockets as well. So I can plug in. But I, I travel with a little power strip all the time because there's always, you know, I always have for any room that has N sockets, I have N plus one things to plug in. And just having something that deals with that uh, whenever I travel turns out to be uh, amazingly convenient from time to time. And Kevin, for the record, um, it just suddenly dawned on me. Um, I'm standing at a standing desk as I record these things. And behind me or in front of me in front of the desk is, in fact, um, a power squid into uh, which I have <laughs> half a dozen different devices plugged in. It's probably the original one I got maybe five or six years ago. So, mm -hmm. yes, uh, to quote the old, um, I think it was the Jurgens commercial, you're soaking in it. <laughs> Cool. So, um, ah, me. You. I've got. Sure. I've got the next story. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah. No, I just. I wanted to talk from the the tech enthusiast, uh, you know, thing. There's one of the new features coming out this fall with the new Apple stuff, is something called Siri shortcuts, and it, you know, it's interesting. Siri has definitely lagged behind Google and Amazon in you know the assistant kind of stuff, you know, no Amazon's good. got skills, you know, people can create these skills and then you could enable them and all of that. And Siri really just has the, th the few things that Apple has deemed is, you know, this is what Siri will do, but that's going to really significantly change. And in a way, maybe even leapfrog uh, stuff. And I think bring like coding and programming back to people in a way it hasn't been there for a long time. So this is called Siri Shortcuts. And the idea is that you can uh, go and build a kind of a script that Siri can then execute for you. And you can actually use it other ways too. You can use it without Siri, just like clicking buttons and doing things like that. And you can have uh, little hooks into things. Like you can have, uh, you know, get, you know, take the my last image. Okay, 
take that last image, compose a new email with that image, and then send that email to somebody else. You know, three steps, put that together, and then create some, you know, this shortcut with it, and then assign a little term that you tell Siri to do this, and Siri will, will execute these three steps. And that's great. That's, that's kind of similar to a lot of macro type of stuff, like if this, then that kind of functionality um, or you know, stuff in Automator on Mac and all that. What's really cool is Apple has included a lot of coding stuff with there. For instance, you could do loops. You could do if-then statements. You can do variables. And you can even do like variables. You can do lists like arrays. It's pretty simple, really basic stuff, but those are the basic building blocks of coding. And they're in there, in Siri shortcuts, for you to use. Like, that's not like hidden, you need to use Xcode or something like that. This is like everybody with iOS 12 will be able to go and tap on the Siri shortcuts button, go in there and drag and drop these building blocks and create things, uh, which is, I think, really interesting. And uh, it's going to get a lot of people familiar, familiar with some of the basics of programming, I, I've been, you know, doing the typical, you know, three or four building blocks kind of thing, but I'm sure there are going to be some people that are going to build these shortcuts that are hundreds of, uh, you know, building blocks in size that do all sorts of interesting things with branching and loops and uh, all sorts of stuff. So where do they live? So they live, uh, well, they live on your phone. There is a way to share them though. So you can actually build one, and I haven't tried it yet, but you can share it with somebody. Matter of fact, there's a set of security protocols, I think, in there for you know you defining what this does and send it to somebody, and then I think it gives them warnings if there's certain, you know, if it needs access to your microphone or needs access to something else, you know, to, to kind of prevent people from uh, you know doing bad things with them or whatever. But uh, but yeah, they they're on the iPhone or iPad, and and you could tr- you don't just have to trigger them with Siri. You can trigger them, say, as an action on a on an item. So I could be in an app, and where I would normally go to share it, say, I want oh, I'm going to share this photo to Facebook. Instead, I could say, okay, I want to share this oh out to a shortcut, and the shortcut I built actually takes a, a photo, and then it does all these filters, and then it does a bunch of th- you know post it to Instagram and Facebook at the same time. And also, app developers can build their hooks into Siri. Siri um, shortcuts. So, you know, you have an app out there that could do cool things and you can then go and add to your app. Like here are three hooks that people can now use in shortcuts to, you know, do something with a photo or a piece of text. There's even, you know, some of the stuff there is like grabbing RSS feeds and parsing the RSS feeds to grab news items. And then you could do stuff like have it spoken out loud or emailed or displayed as text or all sorts of Interesting things. I mean, yeah. you, breaking apart URLs. There's there's hooks in there for really fascinating stuff. When were you? When will will your book about this be out? Yeah, really. I I you know my hope would be I would love for this to take off in a way that other types of macros and scripting things have not, um, and then to do something like that. I, I think one of the keys is is that usually there's a kind of a barrier to entry uh, for doing this, and with just having shortcuts available on all suddenly on all iPhones there'll be a lot of people that will just be curious and start experimenting with this um, and do you have any sense for how it compares to what um, Amazon released oh, I don't know a couple of weeks ago with respect to being able to create your own Amazon or Alexa skills 
Yeah, I haven't, I haven't looked into that. I looked into creating Alexa skills a long time ago before, you know, this new thing. Right. Um, and I don't know how it compares to, to that one. Um, yeah, Cause it sounds like they're both trying to make inroads in the same, um, in the same arena, uh, trying to basically get people, well, of course, locked into their particular system, you know, be it Alexa, uh, you know, the Amazon echo or Siri, or right. presumably Google will come along and do the same thing with, um, uh, with Google Home, but um, I'm just curious if the model is similar, different. Uh, what kind of access they? Allow I, I'm thinking them. that everybody's going in a similar direction, which is even more exciting now that I think about it. Because you know, for a long time now, uh, computing devices for typical users have been: here's the device, here's some software, and a list of things you can do, and that's it. Um, you can't kind of build your own stuff unless you cross the line and become a developer. Right. And to suddenly have, you know, this back. I mean, you know, we all remember when we had, you know, the early PCs and had, like the Apple II had BASIC on it. And I mean, the main thing you did on did with it was just write little BASIC programs, whether it was a couple lines or hundreds of lines to get something done. Um, that was just part of owning an Apple II or a Commodore 64 or whatever. Boom. And, and yeah. <laughs> and, or an Atari 800. Thank you. Ah, there. That's better. Isn't that better? Yeah, yeah, that does feel better. <laughs> the um, so then the uh, the idea that now we've come back around to allowing typical users to do this, and maybe to spark an interest in in this type of thing. I mean, because once you have that down, once you understand loops, variables, and conditional statements, um, you're you're now starting to program, um, and the steps to go to you know actually creating you know, more complex things, it becomes a lot easier once you have those concepts uh, in place. So. My, my theory is that just understanding the concepts will make your device easier to use even if you never create these kinds of, of shortcuts or actions or whatever. Um, I'm a very strong believer in that... Um, in understanding a, a logical method, I'm not sure, even sure what a methodical step by step approach to problem solving is one way to more effectively understand not just how do you use your computer or your device, but why it's doing what it's doing, right? Having, having yeah. those kind of, of models in your head help you. Um, understand things better in general. So yeah, I like the idea. Even if nobody writes these things outside of just playing with them, um, it's it's another thing that will help people understand their devices a little bit better. Yep. Cool. So uh, so we'll we'll keep track of that. And yeah, and I like the idea of doing a course. Oh, I hope that that happens because yeah, you should do a course or an ebook or something. Oh. Oh. Yeah, I mean, uh, that that combines two of my favorite things, right? Teaching people how to program and teaching people how to use Apple stuff. I would Great. be able to do that in one course. Great. I um, gave you the idea. Just remember that when, when you're super rich off this. Uh, I'll, thank, I'll thank you in very, very, uh, yeah, super rich off of this course. I'm sure that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll thank you in very, very small font type at the bottom of one of the <laughs> frames of the video. Somewhere. <laughs> 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 so, um, so back uh, away from the enthusiastic stuff and into the, more of the uh, what sucks about the world. Um, <laughs> so there was another, uh, you know, Wikipedia blackout. You know, Wikipedia has been really good at uh, using kind of their power to uh, to alert people 
to when uh, things are going awry because enough people use Wikipedia that if they put a big message at the top of their site or actually go offline for a day, as they have done with net neutrality in the past, they really do uh, alert people to it. And there, there has been an issue um, in Europe. So it was actually the Spanish... Italian and I believe the Polish version of Wikipedia because there's all the editors are kind of independent for the independent languages. They all went um, offline, so you know blacked out the Wikipedia you know site for that entire language um, because uh, the EU had some proposed legislation uh, that brought back something that comes up over and over and over again. It was basically something that uh, if there's a copyright violation. Um, the question is, who is liable for that? Is it the person that posted the copyrighted information? Or can the, the posting provider, the service, uh, be held liable for that? Um, and this has come, out, come up over and over again in the United States and all over the world. And it sounds really good from the, you know, if you're the one where your copyright's being violated, and I think all three of us here have dealt with that, um, it sounds really great to be able to say, yeah, you know, the hosting provider should be liable because usually the person who posted it is nowhere to be found. Like they're anonymous or they're somewhere else in the world or whatever. But the hosting provider, they've got servers, they've got a company name and an office and everything. Um, but the problem is when you have a law like that, it, it's tough for hosting providers to allow the kinds of things we're used to on the internet because they're used to allowing lots and lots of people to post lots and lots of things without having somebody sit there and read everything that everybody posts and hit hitting an approval button. Um, once you say that they're liable for it, suddenly their whole business model goes out of whack, right? I mean, people can post to Facebook or to, or to Wikipedia or to any site like Reddit or anywhere where you can comment freely. Um, and post something that's in copyright violation. And they're doing the bad thing, but then you as the provider uh, could get stuck with the lawsuit. Um, so the EU was going to have something, a law added that said that, yeah, the hosting provider can get stuck with the lawsuit. Uh, and Wikipedia uh, helped bring attention to that. And this, this step in the process for that was thwarted. So the, the vote for moving that forward stopped. There's something else going on in September, so the fight kind of goes on but at least this little battle here was won. So Gary, help me understand this and, and help maybe some of our listeners understand this. Yeah. The scenario as I understand it, yeah. I have a website, askleo.com. Yeah. Somebody goes out and finds some random copyrighted material. Mm -hmm. They copy it and they post it as a comment to one of my articles. Yep. I am suddenly liable for the copyright violation? Uh, according to uh, an interpretation of this EU law that was proposed, you would be. I mean, you wouldn't be because you're not in the EU probably, but people in the EU, you know, like a, somebody like you, right. would be um, or could potentially be uh, sued for a copyright violation. And it might not even be a comment. It, you might have a system where people can freely talk with each other or right, make yeah, their own posts. A discussion board is another good example of some place where, you know, somebody posts some material, um, you know, to, maybe to make a point um, and does so by copying the material rather than just referencing it. And, and it's not always obvious when there's a copyright violation. It's not like somebody posts something that, oh, this is obvious. Uh, and you know, sometimes somebody could just copy and paste something and it, uh, you know, it, it just, 
who knew that that was actually written by somebody else years ago or from a book. Just recently, uh, for instance, what the U.S. Postal Service had to pay. Yeah. Oh my for, God. Yeah, had, had pay, they lost a lawsuit. So the, the story here was that there's a postage stamp. I remember the postage stamp that shows the Statue of Liberty. The problem was that the oh. post office, thinking it would be a good idea to have a Statue of Liberty stamp, went to Getty Images, gr- searched for Statue of Liberty, grabbed a photo of the Statue of Liberty, put it on a postage stamp, produced millions of them or however many of them, uh, sold them, and then some guy noticed that. Uh, that's not, not only is that not the Statue of Liberty, that's the Statue of Liberty in Las Vegas, the, the imitation Statue of Liberty. And then the thing was that it's not a perfect copy. It's a rendering of the Statue of Liberty that looks different. Um, and it was original art created by this guy. And you, you look at anybody that's ever been to New York and seen the Statue of Liberty, you look at this and you say, yeah, that's not what the Statue of Liberty looks like. Um, and so this guy's art was used by the post office. He didn't get paid for it, didn't get any credit for it. And he won his lawsuit. The post office had to pay him for copyright infringement. What I find interesting is where did Getty Images yeah. fall in this? Because mm. chances are in order to print it as a stamp, they probably charged the postal service for what they call an extended license to give them the permission to do that. Um, So Getty images made money off of this somewhere and yet they're not being held accountable for having provided this image in the first place. That's, you know, that almost goes back to um, the question we were having earlier about, you know, who provides the the original art. Yeah. You know, when I, first heard this it was just like it's easy to throw shade at the post office and go oh you you were stupid but you know what it seems just like dumb luck you know just yeah. they they bought an they, i assume they went to getty images they bought an image in, in good faith somebody who thought it was the real statue of liberty fine they they don't know they've never seen it they didn't compare but i mean just sort of just just dumb luck. What are you going to do sometimes? Yeah, I would think that Getty Images would be, uh, but you know what? Yeah. They, that, there's that huge license whenever you go to one of these services and buy mm-hmm. an image. Massive, massive license, really tiny print. And probably somewhere in there it says that, hey, if it's copyright infringement, it's, it's your problem. Yeah. And, and right. they probably threw their hands up and said, crap, we can't, we can't put this on Getty. So, Sorry, go ahead. In a, well, in a, again, another semi-related story. There was a ruling, um, I think it was last week, that, and it surprised the heck out of me, where um, if you find an image on the internet, it's not necessarily a copyright violation if you then use it yourself. Did you guys run into that one? No, I haven't seen that one. Oh, I'm going to have to find that one, and, re- and, and I'll see if I can't find it and provide a link in the show notes. But it boiled down to almost the exact opposite of this EU story, where um, you know this judge apparently ruled that uh, someone who found an image on the internet and then ended up copying it and using it for something else was um, not liable for whatever reason. Um, I'll, like I said, I'll, I'll look up the, the article and we'll certainly throw it in the show notes for folks who, uh, who are interested in that. But it, it surprised the heck out of me. Now, I'm, you know, as I say this, I'm hoping it's not an Onion article, but... Um, <laughs> You know, it's it's that kind of absurdity that that makes me wonder exactly what's going on. Um, but yeah, it's a mess. It's funny the EU ruling had a lot of people saying um, it's the death of the internet meme, right? Because what is an internet meme these days? It's often a photograph 
somebody else's photograph who you probably didn't take with permission um, with some text over it. And okay, all of a sudden that could potentially be, um, uh, could cause a liability issue for the services hosting it. So services like Facebook and Imgur and God only, you know, Twitter and all those other places that actually are hosting these images could suddenly say, nope, 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 no more memes. So scary stuff. It's weird. Yeah. No, see, yeah. that's what would get people mobilized, right? You know, when you talk about copyright between corporations and writers and all this, everyone's like yawning, but it's like, what? The memes will go away? You can, I can't post my ah. cat memes? No. Uh, no, Stop no. That. Stop that. Dissolve everybody Brexit, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys hear that? That sounds like a bad dance song or something. <laughs> I think we have a show title, maybe. <laughs> there we go. Did you guys see the thing this week where the, the Pakistan prime minister was forced to step down because they were they determined that the, the font that was used in, in some documents didn't exist when the documents were allegedly created? It was, <laughs> no, that's awesome, though. It was the, the, the Microsoft uh, Calibri font was introduced in 2007, and it appeared in a document that is dated 2006. <laughs> and some font, you know, nerds looked at it and were like, wait a minute, this, this font wasn't released until, you know, such and such version of, uh, of Windows. Yeah. So <laughs> and yeah. Every, every person in every font club in every high school <laughs> just yeah. got their whole existence vindicated. Yes. See, <laughs> there's a reason we do this. Digital forensics is really interesting. There was another story, I think, earlier again this week where um, somebody's offering a service that will remove the hidden micro dots that identify what printer printed a piece of paper. Mm. Mm-hmm. You've heard about that, right? Mm. Apparently, I, I know about the micro dots. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Apparently, most printers will uh, include some micro dots somewhere on the paper that you can't see, but that they're enough to actually identify the specific. If they're like in yellow or something, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, you know, that, that identifies the specific printer that printed that particular piece of paper. And apparently this is some kind of a, a workaround, some kind of a way of making that go away. Um, again, same thing, digital forensics. It's really interesting, the, the, uh, the trails we, we inadvertently uh, leave behind. I'm glad, or maybe I'm not, I was hoping that you were going to say that they used Comic Sans before Comic Sans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that that's probably an impeachable offense, right? I was there. going to say that's probably enough right there to get you impeached. It's just your right. Reason. Yeah, he was the prime minister was forced to step down, but you know he wasn't taken to the 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 firing squad or anything. So. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Hmm. All right. Cool. So what's coming up this week, guys? Anything in particular? I know my week is really really boring. Yeah. Well, before every time I mean, I'm traveling again. Uh, on a European trip this this time. I'll I'll be here next week, but then I'm gonna have to take a little break there. But every time, you know, since I produce daily content and I kind of, you know, these tutorials, I I produce them early when I go on these trips. So I end up in this zone where I'm just producing videos every day, so I have enough to get through the uh, the trip. So it's uh, that takes up a lot of my time. So that's what I'll be doing the next couple of weeks. I won't be here uh, next Monday because I will be at uh, Kansas Fest and yes. geeking out with, with those nerds. So, uh, Including Quinn, apparently. Including Quinn. Yep. Yeah. She won't be here either because she will be there with me. Cool. So, and I believe Randy will be back next week, but I'm not sure. Yeah. I'll be here next week. At least that's the plan. Cool. Nice. All righty. 
think that about wraps us up, don't you think? Yeah. Yep. I think so. All righty. Well, as always, the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh31. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the teh podcast. As always, well, we don't actually say this often enough, but you know, your likes, your comments, your your great reviews out at the iTunes store. That's be all sure to like, comment, and subscribe, guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't have that 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 YouTube <laughs> video patter down yet. I need to work on that. Um, but that actually helps us. It helps us be found, which is one of the most important things for any podcast that's trying to uh, trying to make an inroad. So. Just tell a friend. Just a little word of mouth really goes a long way. It does. Yes, it, but yes. What are you listening to? I'm listening to, to this, this thing, and it's fun. You, you might like it, too. Anyway, I think that's it for the week. So, yeah. again, uh, we're number issue number 31, tehpodcast.com slash 31, and we will see you again next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.